This is our last um, week to teach on giving. Giving, you guys know we've been going through Firm Foundations this year, and um, for this month of August, it was on the topic of giving, which was so awesome that it lined up with the month that we're honoring all the people who give um, every week here at SOMA. So it's um, over 100 people every, I mean, it's just, it's kind of crazy. I think it's 80% of you guys are serving in some capacity, and most of you guys serve in multiple places, which is also really cool, so we're really proud of you. I just want to put a a plug in, too. Um, We've had a couple of interest meetings. We've had Soma Kids um, for Little Soma and Soma Kids. Um, They're always going to need volunteers, and I hope by the end of tonight's message that you're going to be like, I'm ready, okay? But also, um, we have a hospitality team, and that's Parking lot attendants, um, greeters, a host, and ushers. So if that's something you're like, whoa, I didn't know that that was happening, you can come and talk to me. And then tonight is the service prep. I know Ken announced it, but I just want to get you hyped up about that. That um, I know we've been having a lot of meetings. Some of you guys, I have it on good authority, were working this morning. You went to a Soma Kids meeting this afternoon. You're here at church, and you'll be going to the service prep meeting tonight. It's like an all-day Soma extravaganza, okay? And some of you guys are like, all right, I'm in, okay? How much more in could I be, right? So I just want you guys to come to that. If you're interested, again, it's not a commitment, but it is getting to know more about how you can serve, and it is definitely more behind the scenes, but we all appreciate toilet paper, don't we? We like having toilet paper in the stall, and that's something that you may be like, that's my job. That is it. That's how I want to serve. And you can have that job, right? And all of us thank you. You really have the most thanked job here, honestly. So, But we are going to finish up on giving. And we would have been remiss to not mention one of the most quoted things about giving. And it is this. It is more blessed to give than to receive. Now, most of us know who said that, right? Who said it? Jesus. Yeah, you answer correctly. That's right. You're in church. If you answer Jesus, you are 99% right. Okay. So Jesus did say that. He said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. But what's interesting about this, it's in red letters, but it's not in the gospels. It's not in Matthew. It's not in Mark, Luke, or John, where most of Jesus's teachings are found, where most of the red letters are found. This is actually found in Acts chapter 20. And it's the apostle Paul quoting him. And it's in this discourse of him talking about serving the kingdom and working for the kingdom and what it's been like for him to work and to serve and to give. And he says, our Lord and Savior said it himself. And then right there in the middle of Paul's word are red letters. If you have a red letter Bible, it's more blessed to give than to receive. So my sermon tonight is titled Giving and Receiving because in the church and in the Christian faith, we spend a lot of time on the topic of giving. We've done it all month, right? There's a lot of emphasis on giving, but giving and receiving are not two opposing actions. Sometimes we polarize those two ideas. One does not exclude the other. You don't get to just be a giver or just be a receiver. They are mutually dependent on one another, giving and receiving. You don't need a PhD to know that, right? In order to be a giver, there must be a what? A receiver, a recipient of that gift. And if all the world only gave, then who would there be to receive? You catching this? And if it's more blessed, which is what Jesus said, it's more blessed to give. He wasn't saying in that statement, it's more blessed to give, you'll never be blessed if you receive. He's just saying in that statement, 
You'll be blessed to receive, but it's more blessed to give because it begins with giving. The beauty in this whole system is that it creates a kingdom cycle of sowing and reaping. And that's what Jesus was all about. I read a quote recently. It said, when we give cheerfully and accept gratefully, everyone is blessed. To be a cheerful giver and a gracious receiver. So here's what happens. The receiver inadvertently gives the giver a gift in return. The receiver gives the giver the gift of joy and satisfaction. When we receive something, we are letting that person that gave it to us have a deep sense of joy and satisfaction that the thing that they were offering is actually being received. Maybe we've all experienced that sense of rejection when we tried to give something and it it wasn't well received. And it hurts. There's a joy and a satisfaction. So the cycle just continues of giving and receiving, of sowing and reaping, right? Both players are key to this equation, and it's so important for us to know that. So my childhood pastor growing up, I grew up at the Assemblies of God Church in um, Lindale, and he said this. He said, to be a gracious giver, you must become a gracious receiver, And that really stood out to me because giving, and especially gift giving, is like high up. This was before the five love languages, but when that book came out, I was like, now I'm understood. But to give and to give gifts was really high up. And so for me to be a really skilled giver, I realized that I also had to be a really skilled receiver, right? Those things kind of went hand in hand. But what prevents us from doing either? What prevents us? What stops us? What are the obstacles? What are the hindrances and the stumbling blocks in us as believers becoming cheerful givers and gracious receivers? So I narrowed it down to two obstacles for you guys, okay? Because for the sake of time and attention and because I didn't get my PowerPoint turned in on time, okay? Because who needs to learn how to do PowerPoint when other people can do that for you? So, um, but here's the thing. Here's obstacle number one to us being gracious givers, Okay? too much me. You can write that down. Just too much me. That's a huge obstacle for us to be in giving because we become, simply put, so incredibly focused, or we can become so incredibly focused on our own needs that we can minimize the needs of those around us, right? We've calculated out our suffering. We've really thought this through. We've done the math, okay? This is how it's adding up. My needs, my desires, they're going to require more attention than yours. I'm a little more desperate. They require energy. And when that happens, when we focus on our own needs, and there's so much of us, we rarely will notice the needs of the people around them. Because our end game, our end goal is making sure that I'm taken care of. And Paul had something to say about that. He said, Jesus has to increase, but I've got to decrease. And he knew that. He knew this really well. He knew what it meant and what that, what that meant for him and what that meant for us, that when we decrease and Jesus increases, okay, when we decrease and Jesus incre- increase, we begin to know him and see him and understand that Jesus becomes our provider and our sustainer. When we decrease and he increases in our life, we begin to understand that I don't have to focus on my needs because Jesus sees and knows. He sees and knows and he'll provide. And it's a major act of trust, right? 
And Jesus said something about it. He said, listen, the law and the prophets all hangs on these two things, that you love me, that I'm increasing, right? And that you love others. Love me and love others. He understood what that was going to do for us. Because here's the thing. If we're all focusing on meeting each other's needs, then everybody's needs get met. And we don't have to focus on our own, right? I grew up reading a um, devotional some of you guys might be familiar with, and it's Oswald Chambers, My Utmost for His Highest. And I'll bring that out still and, and read that because he's just so good. And just this blurb, he can just, you know, just get straight to the heart. But I want to paraphrase something that he said in one of his days of, devo- uh, of the devotional. It says, our needs diminish to the degree that we will serve others. If I find myself in one of these very me-centered stages or seasons of life when all I can think about is my need, when all of my energy and all of my attention and all of my focus is making sure that I'm getting served, right? Because we have those seasons of our lives. Some of you guys are like, yeah, I'm in it. I'm a teenager, (laughs) right? Not ours. But when I find myself in that place... I've learned that if I will serve others, if I will put myself out there and see the need of others, my needs will begin to diminish. Do I still have some needs? Do I still have wants and desires? Absolutely. But they begin to pale in comparison. Especially when you start to rub shoulders with people who have legitimate survival needs. And suddenly, what I thought I needed and all of that attention and energy I thought was required for myself, that just begins to diminish. And then not to mention the joy and satisfaction that we have and the pleasure of the Lord when we serve others. So too much me, that's the first obstacle. But the second obstacle is this. And some of you guys are like, no, I'm good with that. I'm good. I've, um, I don't need another obstacle. I'm over this. The second one is fear, all right? That is an all-encompassing word. In fact, at Youth on Wednesday night, I taught the kids the difference between fear and faith and how those are two motivators in our life. And if you think about it, most of the decisions, if not all, of the decisions and actions that we make in our life come from one of those two things. It was either a fear-based decision or it's a faith-based decision. And at least some percentage of gift-giving, I want you guys to think about this, all right, at least some percentage of gift-giving is driven by fear rather than by cheer, okay? Jesus said he loves a cheerful giver, not a fearful one. So what is this that we're so afraid of? Maybe you've not thought or considered that um, I'm a little afraid that there's some fear-based thinking in this gift-giving. But think about this. Maybe we're afraid that what we offer won't be good enough. And we'll talk about that. We'll unpack that a little more in a minute. Some of you guys know from experience, from your past and from your history, that the gift might be rejected, that someone may not receive it, and maybe they took it the wrong way. And that's true. Maybe sometimes that's happened. But I want us to go just a little deeper when we start thinking about fear as it kind of relates to this idea of giving and receiving. And maybe we're afraid, and I want you guys to really dial in here, maybe what we're afraid of is that that time that we give or that precious resource that we give, maybe that talent, that if we give it, that we won't have enough left over. Like, what about if I give all of that time, will I have anything left over? 
What about me? What about my free time? What about, what about, what about? And you begin to realize that we are functioning in a very strong scarcity mentality. It's invaded our society, and it's even worked its way into our churches. And this idea that drives this need to hoard, to hold back, to save some for later, to withhold, is based on this idea, this scarcity mindset that everything is limited. There's a limit to everything. It's going to run out. I may not have enough. I may get to the end and realize I didn't have enough, right? So it's better to just selfishly withhold a little bit than to be generous because the idea is that there's not enough pie to go around. Like, I've got my slice of pie, and I have to stretch this little teeny slice of pie. I've only got so many resources, right? I've only got so much time. I only have so much energy. I only have so many resources that I can give. And so we have this scarcity mindset that says, if I give this, I'll never have any more. I'll run out. Once it's gone, it's gone. And that has invaded our culture, and it's created this selfishness. And this idea that somehow we're going to run out. I'm going to run out of time. I'm going to run out of energy. I'm going to run out of resources. But that doesn't sound like the gospel to me. Does that sound like the gospel to you? Does that sound like, you know, when Jesus said he came to give life and life abundantly? You know, he said, I came to give it to the fullest. He said something, too, about that I would give it to you shaken down, pressed together, overflowing into your lap. He also talked about how it'd be, he would give immeasurably more than we could think or ask or imagine. That's what the gospel is. That's what the gospel says. The gospel is the complete opposite of scarcity. It's the complete opposite. He came to give abundant life. And yet we live like, I only have this little teeny bit. And I got to make it work. I only got a quarter of a tank left. I got to make it work. He gives us enough for each day. Do you know he gives us enough for each moment? Moment by moment. And some of you guys are like, I can testify to that. If you have little ones in the home, you know that's true. You're like, oh, yeah, it's moment by moment raising a toddler. Okay? Some of you guys know this. You've lived it. You recognize, man, he gives it to me moment by moment. He is our abundance. We have enough because of him, all right? So let's take it a little further. Maybe you think, no, I don't think I have a scarcity mindset. But think about this. Maybe we don't give to the capacity that we should because we don't think we have anything to give. I don't have anything to give. You're like, I, I got nothing. I got nothing. I got nothing to give here. That maybe what we offer won't be up to par. Maybe we think that it won't be good enough. Maybe we're afraid that it wouldn't have any value. Like, I don't, I mean, what's the value of me serving here? But one of the bigger things that we fear is that we, it wouldn't make a difference. We somehow buy into that lie that it's not going to make a difference. What could I do? What could one person do? I want you guys to listen. Every act of kindness, every gift given is good enough. It's good enough, and it matters. It does make a difference. And you know what? Children seem to understand this more than adults, all right? Because their little hearts haven't been jaded by the world. They haven't grown cynical, right? When I was a little girl, I'd wake up on Saturday mornings, 
sometimes Sunday mornings. And when I was, maybe these, these things still exist, but there were these commercials and they were like these long commercials, almost like a show, but it was for St. Jude's Hospital. Do you guys remember these? For St. Jude's? If you don't know what that is, that was like a special hospital for kids going through cancer. And some famous actress, I don't know, would narrate it. And I'm glued to that big old wooden console TV, okay? I would just be bawling. These kids with their bald head and they're carrying, pushing around their little IV stands. And there's stories. And this famous celebrity would get up and say, every dollar counts. And I'd be like, it sure does. So I'd run to my mom and I'd be like, please, here's the 1-800 number. She'd let me call it in, and I'd get, and then back then, probably five bucks. That's probably a hundred today. Same with the uh, Jerry Lewis Labor Day telethon. Maybe that's still going. I don't know. How many of you guys remember that? If you don't remember St. Jude, you might remember the Labor Day telethon. Live for that thing. Live for it. Entertainment, okay? But what I also loved, well, for one, they were like, Always, like, you're, you, you're, you count. Every dollar counts. Give so that these kids with muscular dystrophy can have a life to support them. I would be glued to that Labor Day telethon all day long. Watch it. You never know. There might have, I mean, George Strait might have come on. You don't know who was going to come on that Labor Day telethon, okay? And so I was watching that thing, and I would be like, Mom, I want to go. I need to give. We need to go give some money to this. And so I'd call it in. I'd call the local number. And then they would break from this national, I think it was in Vegas, this national telethon, and they would go to your local station, okay? And these local celebrities, like meteorologists, um, would be at the phones. What are those people called that are at the phones? You know, at the call, little call desk? And they would be taking the calls. And I would be like, maybe I'm calling. I'm like, maybe they're going to take my call. You know, maybe I'm going to inadvertently be on TV. And I would be right there stretched with the phone cord all the way around, all the way around, watching the TV from the kitchen, calling in my pledge. Okay, $5, $10, whatever mom felt compelled to give. But we needed to give that pledge individually. I would give it. My sister would give it. I don't know if Marvin remembers giving it. Because when they broke to the local station, the guy, whoever it was, some news anchor, somebody some local guy, would name off really quickly all the people, and I would be sitting there waiting for it. Sometimes I'd recognize my friends' names. I'd be like, Sonia Lackey gave. (laughs) Williams back then. And I would wait for it. Melissa Slayton from Lindale, $5. And I'd be like, yeah. You know what I believed? That it made a difference. I 100% believed that that made a difference. We keep in our cars singles in our cars. Aiden in his own car. I'm so proud of him. I opened up his console. He's got singles because we believe every dollar that you give to someone matters. When someone's standing there with a sign and you hand them a dollar, we believe it matters. Do you know what we believe? We believe we've communicated the love of the Lord. We believe that that person needed to know humanity still cares. But we get cynical, right? We think, oh, they're going to go buy drugs with that. That's not the point. The point is, is whatever you give, it is enough. And you need to act upon that. You need to give. But we also have these major misunderstandings about receiving. Big ones. So we've got 
we've got these issues with giving. We need to get over ourselves. We need to get over our fear, right? But we also have these misunderstandings. I wanted to tell you three things that receiving isn't, okay? We got a lot of ideas about what it means to be a receiver, right? We're always so afraid of being a taker, you know? Like, there's a difference between being a receiver and being a taker. So here's what receiving isn't. Receiving a gift or a service from someone is not a debt. The world may have a completely different idea of this, but in God's kingdom and economy, when a gift is given, that does not put you in debt. But we think that we're going to somehow be suddenly obligated to have to repay that person. But in the church, in God's kingdom, when you receive, it's a gift. And a gift, by definition, is a thing that's given willingly to someone without payment. If we don't receive graciously, we can get into this mindset. And what was originally gracious giving and gracious receiving can turn into a mental game. This happens in relationships and friendships and marriages. It happens in all kinds of settings. And it's really a mental game of commerce. It's a mental game of capitalism. It's an exchanging of goods and bartering. It's like keeping score. That's not giving. That's like economics. But in King's, God's kingdom and economy, you're not keeping score. You give freely and you freely receive it. But we somehow think, oh, no, I can't receive that because I'm going to be in debt to them and I don't know when they're going to call that in. Right? I don't want them to keep my kids because they might call me to keep theirs. <laughs> you know you've thought it. It's true. Okay, here's another thing what receiving isn't. It's not a debt, and it also does not show weakness. This one's tough. We watch a lot of Little House on the Prairie, Waltons, the cheesier the better in our home. And inevitably, there would be a, an episode, you know, like every fourth episode, when someone would want to give to this family in need, and they'd say, we don't accept charity. And you're like, accept it, you know? Receive it. You know, their children are starving. Receive it. Because somewhere in the deepest parts of our minds, and especially according to how you were raised and maybe what your history might be on this topic, it really feels like it's a weakness to receive from someone. But having a need, having a desire that needs to be met does not make you weak, and it doesn't make you incompetent. It makes you human. It just makes you part of us. We're going to talk in a minute about how divine that is. But receiving isn't weakness. And receiving also does not make you vulnerable. But it can feel that way, especially based on your experience. To receive something from someone can oftentimes make you feel exposed or like powerless or defenseless. And it's almost like this idea that when we perceive... When we are vulnerable, we perceive that maybe we're being judged. That the person who's giving to us or serving us in that capacity somehow judged us to think that we are incompetent, that we're powerless, that we're defenseless, that we couldn't have done it on our own. When someone helps you, when someone gives you something, when someone wants to serve you in a capacity that even makes you uncomfortable, 
They aren't judging you, not in the kingdom, not in the church. Do you know what they're doing? They're discerning that you might have a need, but that doesn't mean they think you're an idiot. They just want to bless you. It doesn't have to make you feel vulnerable. When we receive help, when we receive a gift, hey, guys, when we receive advice or even critique, when someone gives input into your life, when someone is giving in any capacity, when we receive it, we are expressing an appreciation to the giver. We're expressing gratitude. When you receive something from someone, you're expressing appreciation and gratitude. Do you know what else you're doing? You are admitting when you receive, listen, you're admitting that you need other people. And maybe that's what we're afraid of. I don't want to need anybody. And it is an admission, like, I needed that. Thank you. I needed it. So that's okay. It's not only okay, it's biblical. It's right. We are acknowledging in that moment when we receive and when we graciously receive, we are acknowledging that we want to be and that we can be a part of the body. We can be a part, an active part of this community. Paul talked about this in 1 Corinthians 12. I want you to write it down because go back. I wish I could read the whole chapter of 1 Corinthians 12. He talks about what it means to be a part of the body and how intricately designed we are as the body of Christ. And he says in verse 21, the eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you. The head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. We need to hear this tonight because somewhere deep inside of us in our fears and maybe even in our selfishness, maybe through the lens of our past and through the lens of hurt, we've somehow bought into this lie that we don't need others, but we do. We need each other. So how do you cheerfully give and graciously receive? There's three things that you can do. Here's some action points for you. Like, I need to grow in this area. I need to be a cheerful giver, and I need to be a gracious receiver. Okay, here's three things. First, admit that it's biblical. If you're sitting in this room, odds are you want to know how to live by the Bible, right? It's biblical. This is how God designed us to need each other, to be givers and to be receivers. So admit that. That's kind of admission is usually the first step in most things, isn't it? Got to admit that. This is a biblical thing. You are a part of the body of Christ. You have an awesome place in this. The second thing is this, is to act upon the inclination that the Spirit gives you. I think so often because of our fears and maybe even because of our selfishness, we will ignore what the Spirit's trying to, to tell us especially as it relates to giving and serving people. If someone comes to your mind, stop in that moment and pray for them. There's a reason why they're coming to your mind. Stop and pray for them. If you're like, man, I hope they're doing okay, send them a text and say, hey, I hope you're doing okay. I was praying for you this morning. When someone comes to your mind, act upon that inclination I can promise you it's not the devil trying to get you to encourage people. Okay? When you feel a sense of like, I feel compelled to give, not the devil. He's not a giver. He's a taker. Act upon that. Train yourselves to start hearing and to start responding to that. Be like, Lord, how, what are some creative ways that I can give? You're like, I don't have a ton of money. But there are ways that you can give 
right? And then here's the third thing, okay? How to be a cheerful giver and gracious receiver. One, admit it's biblical. Two, act upon those inclinations. Three, say thank you and say you're welcome. Women, we're pretty bad about this. Someone compliments us, we're going to self-deprecate every time. We can't just say thank you. They're like, hey, that's a cute dress. We got to say it was $2 at Goodwill. We can't just admit, we can't just say thank you. We got to let them know I didn't spend $30 on this dress, right? We, oh, this is awesome. I think every woman said this or done this. We say your hair looks so good. We say, thanks, I washed it. Oh, thank you. I just, you know. We ha- women can have a hard time receiving compliments, receiving in general, Right? When someone gives to you, when someone wants to pay for your meal, when someone says, hey, let me watch your kids, when someone says, hey, I want to bless you with this, do you know what you can do? You can say, thank you. Just thank them. When you go and pick up your kids at Soma Kids, tell those workers, thank you. When Girls, when a guy's holding the door for you, look them in the eye and tell them thank you. Saying thank you is powerful. It is awesome. Because we've all known the opposite end of that, what it feels like to not be thanked. And also, say you're welcome. When you are the giver, and they're like, oh, you don't have to be like, you know, you're deflecting their gratitude. Just say, you're welcome. My pleasure. It's an honor. You need to work on those things. Right? Right? Because sometimes we make it awkward for the person who's receiving because we can't just let them receive it. You know what? They may want to gush for a little bit and sit and cry and tell you how timely that was and how the Lord blessed them through that act. And you need to be able to be like, that's right. You're welcome. I am a gracious receiver. Okay? It's pretty easy. We do have it in us to give. I want you guys to stand. I want to read a couple of scriptures over you. We have it in us to give. We are not living in a scarce kingdom. It's no scarcity in the kingdom of God. It's just full abundance. And it's ours to give away. And you know what's awesome about God's kingdom? The more you give it away, guess what? The more you, you just keep on getting it. You cannot outgive him. You can't. Each of us has something. And do you know why we have it? Because he's the great giver. Do you realize that God gave first and he set this in motion? He was the first great giver. He set all of this in motion for us. And now we're in that cycle. As his children, as believers, we're in the cycle of giving and receiving and sowing and reaping. You're in it. Now you need to be in it to win it. Like do this thing. Live this out. Let me read these over you. Ephesians 2.8 says this, God saved you by his grace when you believed, and you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Your salvation's a gift. You didn't earn it, and you can't pay it back. It's a gift. Receive it. 2 Corinthians 9.8, and God is able to make all grace abound to you so that always having all sufficiency in everything. Someone say that, in everything. I'm going to say this again. And God is able to make 
all grace abound to you so that always having all sufficiency in everything, listen, you may have an abundance for every good deed. Do you hear this? You have an abundance for every good deed. Not some, not partial. Every good deed you do, you have an abundance from the Lord. You have the capacity to give. You have it in you because of this. 2 Timothy 1.7, for God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but what did he give us? Power, come on, love, and a sound mind. The great giver has given you these things. You have capacity, guys. John 14.27, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. He has given you his peace. John 10, 10, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full, abundant. Hebrews 6, 17 and 18, listen to this. God also bound himself with an oath so that those who received the promise could be perfectly sure that he would never change his mind. Some of you guys need to hear that tonight. Some of you guys were raised in homes where there, you were given things and they could be snatched away. And you lived with the fear that all of this could be gone. All of this could be lost. I do one wrong thing, one bad turn, it's going to be gone. But you know what the Lord says? He bound himself with an oath. Those who receive the promises, that's everyone in here who's received him, could be perfectly sure. Did you know you can be perfectly sure tonight? You don't have to leave here insecure about it. He's not going to change his mind. So God has given both his promise and his oath. These two things are unchangeable because it is impossible for God to lie. He's never going to take it back from you. It says in Romans, I didn't write this down. It says in Romans that the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. He won't tear those things from you. You don't have to live in that fear. A couple of more. First John 4, 19. I want you guys to close your eyes. Take these, these few in. We love because he first loved us. We love. We can give love and we can receive love because he first loved us. He put this in motion. Psalms 36, 9. You are the giver of life. Your light lets us enjoy life. John 3, 16 and 17, for this is how God loved the world he gave. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world not to judge the world but to save the world through him. Lord, we receive your promises right now. If you guys just are comfortable, raise your hands and just this posture of receiving Lord, you are the great giver. You aren't a taker. You're a giver. And you don't just give partially. You give completely. Your word also says that you withhold no good thing from those who love you and walk according to your will. Lord, thank you. No matter what earthly example we have of this, we can trust the oath that you made and that your promises for us are yes, they're amen. And we have enough. 
Would you declare that tonight, God? I have enough. I have abundance. There's sufficiency in you. There's not scarcity. God, forgive us for living with this scarcity mindset that we have to hoard and hold back and have some left over. Lord, your word says that your mercies are new every day and that you give us this day our daily bread. Every day, we wake up every morning with enough. You are enough. God, would you empower us to give cheerfully? And would you help us to receive graciously? Bless this time, Lord. And as we are closing, if you guys want to respond in ministry, always you can come and take communion. This might be the right time. This might be a time in your life where you're like, I'm going to go and I'm going to remember what God gave me. He laid down his life for me. The bread, the blood, symbolic of his life given for us. And maybe you're like, oh yeah, I need the physical taste on my tongue to remind me that he's enough. Or maybe you need to come and just do some business at the altar just as a sign of surrender. It is open. But also, I'm going to go ahead and invite our prayer team to come up. You might be in a place in your heart right now where you feel completely stalled out on both of these. It's almost impossible for you to give because you're in such a place of survival. You hardly can see anyone else's needs around you because you're in so much pain and so much suffering. Come and get prayer. Or maybe you're someone who's having a really difficult time receiving because you're afraid. You're afraid of what that's going to mean for you to receive. Come and get prayer. And maybe you don't know the Lord. Maybe I read these scriptures and you haven't understand and received this free gift of salvation. And if that's you, please come. Come and talk to someone. And you can respond and be a part of that abundant life in Jesus' name. Amen? All right, you guys, you're dismissed.